So glad that you uh, are joining us for our podcast, uh, The Chapel Chat. It's our first podcast today, and we are super excited uh, that you are with us. Uh, I am Dieter Heinzel. I'm one of the pastors here at Ledoux Chapel uh, Presbyterian Church. If you would like to have more information about our congregation, you can find us on the website at ledoochapel.org or you can check us out on uh, Facebook or Instagram or even better we hope that uh, you would come and join us for worship on Sunday mornings and if that's not possible you can always worship with us uh, online. So today we are sitting here with uh, Doug King who is one of the pastors here. Uh, he is actually our head of staff. He came to us in the midst of uh, the pandemic last November and we're so excited he is here with us today. And so welcome, Doug. It's great to have you. And uh, we are just curious if you could tell us a little bit about how did you even find Ledoux Chapel? <laughs> Thank you, Dieter. It's great to be with you. It's exciting um, to be a part of this first podcast. So uh, uh, Ledoux Chapel found me, actually. Um, I have a friend and colleague named Larry Hayward, who's a pastor outside of Washington, D.C. And there are uh, former members of his congregation, which are now current members of this congregation, which I will not name in case people decide they don't like me here. Um, I don't want them to be held responsible. Um, but they happened to be with Larry and were asking for suggestions about who Ledoux Chapel might uh, look at to be their next pastor. And Larry gave them my name and um, the search committee reached out to me. And, uh, you know, it, I did not know much about St. Louis or Ledoux Chapel, but really enjoyed reading the materials and hearing what a vibrant and remarkable congregation this is, and started to have conversations with the search committee. And um, my, one of my roles in when I was serving a church in New York was that I worked with student ministers every year. And so as they were graduating, I would speak with them about what the search process was like and what was important to consider when you're thinking about a call somewhere, how to discern where the Holy Spirit may be calling you. And what I always tell all my students are, you need to think about theology, you need to think about the kind of ministry that goes on there and the role you're being asked to play. But a really important thing that you need to figure out is, would you be happy sitting down and having dinner with these people? Are these people interesting? Do you want to have conversations with them? Do you enjoy their company? Because sometimes that gets lost in the mix. And so, uh, as soon as I started to talk to the search committee, I thought these people are interesting, they're funny, um, I, I love their perspective on life, and so that drew me in to, to continue the conversation, which led all the way to today. That's great. I think it's also a great uh, example of our connectional church. So we're not a huge denomination, but uh, it's always great to have people reach out, and uh, so we're, we're surely glad that you know, they said, hey, you ought to check this guy out. So <laughs> I am too. Yes. So I, I wonder if part of the attraction uh, in St. Louis for you, I know you're a baseball fan. So I know I'm wondering if part of the attraction was the St. Louis Cardinals. I know you have your own team. So and I don't want to put you on the spot, but <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. So. Of course you are. Um, so I have a love hate relationship with the St. Louis Cardinals. 
Um, you know, back in the 1980s when the Mets were a good team, their biggest rival were the St. Louis Cardinals in the mid-80s. And there were some great series against that team. And there were years where the St. Louis Cardinals knocked us out of everything. Uh, but my love for the Cardinals is they've always been a class organization. They've always run themselves incredibly well. So I've always had tremendous respect. So um, I grew up a New York Mets fan. And um, when you grow up in the New York City area and your family are Brooklyn Dodger fans, you never root for the Yankees. You always root for the Mets. And so the Mets are still um, beloved in my heart. But I'm really excited to be in a city that's got great baseball and a great organization. And um, I'm enjoying starting to follow the Cardinals right now. Well, great. Well, we're, we're going to see how they will do. I don't, I don't think they're having the best of seasons. But, might not be their year. Yeah, but uh, who knows? They might gain some, some steam toward, toward the end of it. But uh, So uh, maybe one of the things that our listeners might be interested in too, Doug, is how did you uh, get interested in pastoral ministry in, in the first place? I always find it uh, one of the most uh, gratifying things to hear other colleagues talk about, uh, well, how did they get started with this in the first place? So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I um, grew up on a, um, attending a church out on Long Island and um, was sort of a church kid involved in different things. And that led me to being elected to be a youth advisory delegate to the General Assembly in um, 1985 in um, Indianapolis. and. So as you're preparing to attend General Assembly, you go to Presbytery meetings. And so I was coming home from a Presbytery meeting with my pastor, who was John Walton at the time. And, you know, I was all of 17 years old and we're, we're driving home in the car. And he says, do you know where you're headed? And I said, no. And he said, well, I think you're going to go to seminary. And that had never crossed my mind. I don't come from a family of ministers. Um, that is not in our background. Uh, but it planted a seed. And it led me to thinking more and more about that. And I kept being drawn to that. And, you know, it's interesting. So John and I are good friends. We've been colleagues in a group called the Movable Feast for over 20 years together. And so our relationship has grown and grown. He does not remember saying this to me. So the lesson this says to me is be careful what you say to people. You can shape their entire lives in things that you're just using as a throw-off line. So, Well, I'm, I'm sure he didn't just use it as a throw-off line, but he may not, he may not remember exactly. But uh, yes. I, I, can I can appreciate that. Yeah, sometimes people come back later, 20, 30 years, and say, oh, you said this in a sermon. <laughs> And I'm thinking, <laughs> I have no recollection of this. So, yes, that's, indeed, that's great. Uh, I I also know you are you are an animal lover, and uh, when you and and Marta, your wife Marta, came to St. Louis, you you brought a particular animal with you who, I understand, allows you to live in the house that that you bought. So, uh, but I I. I'm not going to try and pronounce her name, so I'll leave that up to you. But uh, I'm wondering if you can let us in a little bit about, about that. Well, let me give you the story of Sarsaparilla, the singing gorilla. All right. Um, my mother um, lived with Marta and I for the, the remaining years of her life. 
And when she moved in with us, she had a cat and she'd always been a cat person. She used to steal the neighbor's cats when I was a child. She would let them in and feed them and they would eventually move in with us. And we had very indulgent neighbors. Um, and so the cat my mother moved in with us um, was the least friendly cat in the world. It was an incredibly hard cat to love, but it was her cat. And when that cat died, we were, we were sad for her. Um, and then uh, people kept saying, well, you're going to get your mother another cat, aren't you? And it really hadn't been in our plan. But then we thought, well, we should probably do that. So Christmas was coming up. So my mother loved Christmas presents. They didn't need to be anything major, but she loved opening things. So we would have 30 or 40 things for her to open, just little tchotchkes. And so it was Christmas morning. And so one of the gifts we had was a gift certificate to get her a cat. And she's opening all these little presents. And, and Martin and I are sort of off to the side. We're like, she really is happy with what she got. We could just slide that gift certificate out. She wouldn't even know we were planning on getting her a cat. And we wouldn't have to get one. We said, no, no. Okay, we'll, we'll give her the coupon. So a couple of weeks later, my mother wasn't able to uh, travel much at this point. So Martin and I went in search of a cat. And we went to the local animal shelter. And the minute I saw this cat, I just fell in love with her. Um, I, and so by the time we were taking her home, I was already stealing her to be mine. So um, she picked you, really. Yes, indeed. Yes, so, she did. Yeah. And so, you know, we needed to find a name for her. Uh, and so I thought about it for a while and I thought, you know, Sasparilla is a fun name to say. And you can shorten it to Sass or Sassy. And so I went online to sort of look up the name Sasparilla because, you know, Google has changed how our brains work. Sure. Uh, and so I found this um, YouTube link to Sasparilla the Singing Gorilla, which is literally a gorilla that sings. So we gave her that entire name. But the interesting thing is, for the first six months or so that we had her, she didn't cry once. Like she was a completely silent cat. But she has grown into her name now. She is quite chatty wow. with me. Very good. <laughs> so, and she... She took the move well from, you know, being a big city cat in New York <laughs> to come to the Midwest and now lives in the Central West End. So. She loves the Central West End. She's got this um, little perch up on the third floor of our house where she can look down and watch the people walk by. And, you know, we are in a neighborhood where people are constantly walking back and forth. And she loves the action. Yes, she does. That's great. That's great. So one, one uh, last question maybe, Doug, uh, is that um, it seems to me that the church in general, not Ledoux Chapel in particular, but the church in general is really changing and nobody really knows in which direction we are going. And uh, I'm just curious about your sense of that and, you know, uh, am I totally off base uh, by thinking along these lines or what? what What are your thoughts on these? Well, nothing would be more fun, Dieter, than to tell you you're totally off base. <laughs> But well, there's, there's another, there's another uh, baseball metaphor. There, but but I, I agree with you. Um, we are going through a time of significant change, and we were before the pandemic. And the pandemic has accelerated whatever uh, the change is going to be for us. You know, as any of us who have been in the church a while know, You know, there was a time where it was a societal expectation that everybody went to church on a Sunday morning. So all the pews were filled every Sunday and you never needed to give it much thought. All the churches sort of thrived in that context. 
And over time, that's changed. There's no cultural assumption of church attendance anymore. And so that's a bit of a challenge and, and a, a, something that can be worrisome to us. What is incredibly intriguing to me about this change is now the people that come to church are there because they want to be there, because they recognize they need something. Um, they're not there for some societal assumption about what they need to do. They're there because they believe they need God in their life and that they need to do that in community. And that's the basis of what it means to be a Christian. And so it's a very exciting time recognizing the people we have now have made a, have made a significant choice to do this. The question is what churches will look like in the future. Um, a place like Ledoux, which is a, a relatively large church, is, is fairly rare these days. And so, you know, how do we structure ourselves? What does it mean to be the institutional church is changing. And, and frankly, as we see in, in all aspects of society, we're going to be more nimble than we used to be. Every institution needs to be able to, to shift more quickly than it used to. And so we need to be open to, to listening to what the zeitgeist is these days. Yeah, uh, well, I think that's really exciting. And I think it's a very hopeful thing that, um, you know, to, to know that the people who come uh, to church really want to be here. They want to serve. Uh, they want to worship. And so I think that's great. And so maybe <clears throat> that's a good segue to remind uh, our listeners, too, that Rally Day is coming on September the 12th when we're ramping up our programs. It's really exciting that after a year and a half of pandemic, you know, being dormant, uh, more or less, we are excited to welcome everybody back. Uh, we are running all of our programs again uh, for people of all ages. So we hope that uh, you all can join us on September 12th for worship and for education and all the good things that come along with that and for our church picnic where we are outside and uh, get to hang out with each other and maybe you know reconnect with people we haven't seen in a long time so uh, thanks for listening today thank you for being with us Doug it was really great to talk to you and uh, we're really happy you're here so uh, uh, now I can blame somebody you know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Dieter so, thank you so much <laughs>